0: Hello, and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business, and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day, and I'm joined this afternoon upstairs in the circus room at Mark's Club by Ross Bailey, the founder and CEO of Appear Here. Ross left school at 16 and soon found that his infectious enthusiasm lent itself perfectly to the world of business. His first true entrepreneurial venture, founded when he was just 19, is the one that he still heads up today. Appear here is now the world's largest online marketplace for short-term retail spaces. It's a kind of Airbnb for commercial property. A major driving force in the pop-up sector, the company works with thousands of established brands and fledgling businesses every year and has just overseen a very successful expansion to Paris and the US. Today, Ross tells us how a Jubilee-themed party accidentally kicked off the entire business, what it's like to be a CEO of a multinational company at the age of just 25, and why he never wants to hear about another clean eating startup ever again. Ross, thanks very much for joining us today. When I think about Appear Here, the idea, it's one of those ideas that is so annoyingly simple. You kind of think, how did that not exist before? Were you worried that someone else might have done it already? No, I mean, when I first had the idea, I was looking around.
1: I was at an advertising school, mm-hmm. and every morning I was set a challenge, which is that before I got out of bed, I had to have three ideas. So the whole day I'd be looking out for things, yeah. and then in the morning I'd have three ideas. What, can, I what, what were they? What was oh, the kind of anything. Like your <laughs> anything. Well, it's funny, once you you're set that challenge, yeah. and you are like, when my alarm goes off, I cannot get out of bed unless I've had three ideas. God, were you ever late for school because of it? I wasn't late because I spent the whole day going like, you just see someone cross the road for me, You'd be like, oh, imagine if there was an app for that. Or there'd be <laughs> that type of thing going around your head. And then in the morning, you'd like already have them. And you'd be like, okay, duh, that idea, that idea, that yeah. idea. And at the end of the week, I'd be okay, what were the best one or two? And it actually wasn't how I came up with a peer here, but it was like I was in this headspace. And um, I just remember suddenly looking at all these empty shops on the street and being like, God, there's all these empty shops. Why are they all empty? And sort of going away and looking into that. And at the same time, going, God, Airbnb is just taking off. Mm-hmm. And isn't it amazing how you can rent out this spare room in somebody's house and it's this latent capacity, this thing that isn't being used? Um, or Uber. Like, there's these drivers, and when they don't have, when a yeah. private driver doesn't have time, he can be on this app, and he's, they're using his latent time. And I thought, could you do the same with empty shops? Sure. And I remember speaking to someone about the idea, and, and the people at the school hated it. And then I had other ideas, and I was like, you know, you should stick with that. And I was like, but I think there's something here. And... In terms of having, anyone had the idea before, no, no one had had it before. There was yeah. nothing online, and everyone was all there. You know, that proves that this is a crap idea. And in my mind, I just thought, you know, everyone you ever read about who's made a lot of money has been in real estate a lot of the time. And at the same time, like, the other people are in technology. And I was like, this sort of involves both. This is quite exciting. And then I, I looked at it more and more, and I guess the moment I decided to focus on it was I decided to take a shot myself Sort of moved sort of moved on from the idea it's Queen's Diamond Jubilee little shop that was empty on um just off of Carnaby Street and I see this little store and I go and find the landlord and I convince them to let me have it for a week and the idea well was it was to, just between leases it was just vacant yeah it was just an empty shop and it was like God this is just off Carnaby Street it's the Queen's Diamond Jubilee in two mm-hmm. weeks what if I did something for it and I, I was you know I was the kid that was at school you know, running the
0: tuck shop and had like okay. a, a dog walking business so was always trying to be like what's an idea switched on entrepreneurs even as a kid
1: i don't think i you know i never saw the word of entrepreneur i think i was very real life at playing like adults it's like when other people were playing like mums and dads yeah i was sat on a desk with a pretend phone pretending i was okay. running a company and then i'd be like oh why don't mates why don't we go and walk dogs and they'd be like yeah, okay, and like we'll pretend we have a dog walking business, and then like people actually <laughs> pay us. And then the next week we'll be like, oh, let's get five more people involved, and like, how do we just make it a bit more big and a bit more fun? Yeah. And I never saw it as like business and money. It was just like, you know, it was like playing the PlayStation. If I get ten points or ten pounds, sure. next week I get hundred, then that's fun. We're winning, and it was that simple. And and you know, when it was. The Queen's Diamond Jubilee. Obviously, I was a bit older. It's about eighteen or nineteen. But there's this empty shop. There's this national moment. Everyone's talking about it. And in my mind, it's just like, well, why don't we take a shop? I got my best mate. I said, look, we're going to take this shop. It's like a couple of hundred quid, mm. five hundred quid, whatever they give. They not much. I said, and um, we're going to sell like t-shirts that aren't souvenir tat for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. And I've got a name. It's called Rock and Roll. And that's all I had. Mm-hmm. So it's 10 days. It's before the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. We turn up at his house and we spend the whole day just drawing out pictures for the T-shirts. We order, like, a couple of hundred of these. And then um, we turned up at the shop. And long story short, day later, it gets banned by Buckingham Palace. There's hundreds of kids, well, kids, adults, everything, queuing outside for these T-shirts. Yeah. Became even more popular once they were banned. And I'd got some friends involved who were in fashion, who were selling T-shirts. And... Suddenly, at the end of it, I was like, we've actually made one a little bit of money here, two, mm-hmm. it was fun, and three, there were like queues outside. And if I'd have stuck this online, yeah. I bet no one would have heard about this, and I bet got, no one yeah. would have cared. And it suddenly made me, as like, a young guy, just go, hang on a minute, everyone's talking about the high street dying, everyone's saying that internet's gonna kill this thing, but I've got mates at fashion designers who I gave a shelf to and have made more money in this little random shop off of Carnaby Street. Mm than they have on a year online. And they're great. And I'm who, you know, I'm not the best designer, have designed a t-shirt that's got Bama Buckingham Palace that's sold out. Like there may be there's something here. And yeah. suddenly I went back and thought, well, hang on a minute, do you remember I thought about that idea to do with Airbnb and empty shops? Wouldn't that have solved
0: this? You had your case study. About um,
1: that. And then I had the case study. And it was that moment where I think I just went, do you know what, this is the idea. This is all I'm going to think about. This is the focus. Nothing else matters. <laughs> And I was always that magpie that, as you say, that always had a different idea doing this and doing that. And it was literally
0: like, at the end of that show, I just went, this is all I'm doing. So there was no kind of moments of self-doubt, no thinking, do I really want to be in pop-up shops? That was the moment where I went, Ross,
1: this is what you've got to focus on. I think I was also, you know, I left school at 16. The best qualification I have is some GCSEs and... I think I was always in this headspace. That I don't have another option. I don't have a safety net. Mm. If I don't do something, no one's going to hire me. Okay. So in my idea, it was less like, you know, did I have self-doubt? Of course I had self-doubt. But I sort of sat there and went, Ross, you're spending all this time having different ideas all of the time. This one makes sense. You've just done this store. It just felt like, Ross, you're onto something. Okay. And at that moment, I went, let's focus at it. So what was day one? What was your first thing you did? Well, do you know what? Because I'd had this idea a little while, but I wasn't really sort of thinking about it or not doing it, I'd done... Every research. I mean, -hmm. I I was like 18, 19, as I said. I had this piece of paper, like business plan. I've read like a business plan. But I mean, it was like 50 pages. I I can't believe it. I mean, I've never looked at it since. (laughs) It was 50 pages, every thought, the marketing strategy, the go-to-market strategy. I don't think since then I've ever sat down and written so many words. Okay. Right. (laughs) So it it wasn't very useful, but I did that. I then did like a deck. I then did wireframes. I bought this wireframing software. Yeah. And I did every single wireframe. I mean, it was probably 300 pages. Every what happens when you click this button, how it drops down, everything. I mean, it was crazy. Like now, if it, I mean, this is not advice to anyone, okay. right? This is not what you do. But I did it. Um, and I remember going to these meetings and I'd literally have like a pile of paper. Like This is my wireframe, this is the website, and an iPad, and I'm 19 and I've just got yeah. GCSEs and I thought someone's going to give me a million quid and it didn't <laughs> happen.
0: How did you get money early on? 19-year-olds um, with a stack of paper. Well, I met every VC, you know, and I... I think the best. fairly polished. Most, if we rewind before that, how did you
1: even get in the door with a VC? I, was, I would never go to one of these things now, I hate them, but I was the person that was going to every single drink. about. Like I'd meet someone, I'd, I'd meet someone they'd, be, they'd, they'd have a badge saying venture capitalist, and I was the one running over to them going, hey, I've got an idea, and trying to get their time. <laughs> and, you know, I, I asked everyone I knew if they knew any investors, I'd call up, I'd email, yeah. I'd turn up at their office, um, and you don't advise doing that to someone in your shoes? No, not really. But it worked. I mean, it worked, but I was incredibly naive, and I was very young. And actually, one of the things probably in my favour at that time mm. is if a 19-year-old kid's going, look, please, let me, me and you've got all these people who are the same doing it, who are like 25 or older, yeah. you probably go, actually, this is a bit, I've never, I've never had one yeah. this young come over, <laughs> so I'll, maybe I'll give them time for a coffee. And I just went to every event, every single thing, everything to do with tech, trying yeah. to understand it. Um, applied to every single incubator, got turned down from every single one. Um, then I did the shop, and I just remember being like, no, 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 I don't care that everyone said no, I don't care everyone said this idea doesn't work, I'm going to do it. And I remember at that point, I went and I met with a couple more VCs, and I said, look, you know how I told you I had this idea, and this, well, now I've done a shop, and this is what happened, mm-hmm. and here's the pictures, and this was it in the press, and this was everything else. And it was amazing, some people just went, okay, let's let's do it. And then I remember a guy I met, you know, I met, him some I think like the week before because it was at all these events, I met his accountant and then I met someone who was on his team and in one week you have three different people say to him, You should talk to this kid. Yeah. And he said, Look, I'll give you not it wasn't much, it was about a quarter of a million quid.
0: And he said, You can work here in the office um and let's see what happens. A quarter of a million quid to a nineteen year old, you, did you think that's a lot of money? I mean I, to me that sounds like a lot of money I right
1: thought, now. I thought I thought it was a lot of money. I was very excited. Um, I didn't have enough money prior to that to pay a lawyer or something. So I remember my lawyer said, I called this woman up, and she said, oh, she, she was trying to get rid of me, and she was like, look, if you read every page and underline all the bits you don't understand, which is a 19-year-old kid looking at a commercial legal agreement, which is every single fit, <laughs> she goes, the bits you don't understand, we'll talk about. And I went home, and I Googled all these terms, and we sat down. So I actually did the legal agreement with her. And... Um, To answer your question of did it feel a lot of money, I remember we finally signed this deal, which I'd obviously spent a lot of time on because I was doing the contracts. And the guy who was an investor was having a party at the top of um, the Heron Tower. Mm -hmm. And I remember he had this band, this jazz band playing. It was firework night. And there were fireworks going off across London. And I was like, you know, I'm in a movie. I've just raised this money. I'm in this setting. It was was incredible. Um, And interestingly, I don't think you ever feel like that Again, when you raise money, but it was quite, yeah, it was a, it was a good moment. And, and then a few weeks later, he sort of said to me, hey, we're doing this New York trip. You guys should come. You should come along. Um, we're going to do this. We're going to go to this place. And I was like, I can't um, because I'm not 21 yet. And I just remember the shock on his face um, where I think he <laughs> thought I was a little bit older. Um, but anyway, long story short, a few months, about six months after that, we raised a million quid because um, we got some great
0: people in the room yeah. and started to prove what we'd set out to prove. Uh, and then, you know, continued. It strikes me that you like to be involved in in all the details of it. Do you still now? Are you are you very techy? For example, do you write any code, or or you? I do have deployed the site once, but I don't. I can't really <laughs> write code. Um, but I'm involved in the
1: product sessions. Um, I'm involved in a lot of the teams. I'm trying to. Again, we're in a transition. I mean, sure. these company. Every company has inflection points. When you're thirty people, it's very different to fifty people. Um, and, you know, we've just probably gone past that mark and opened up new offices. The org chart changes, the, the way that the business runs changes, and, and you have to adapt to that. Um, because at the same time, you know, I can't be in New York or Paris when I'm ne- you know, and be in the detail because yeah. I'm going to slow people down. Um, and that's a real realisation that you have to have. And I think any entrepreneur, especially if you're obsessed with detail and not compromising, Um, You know you sometimes want to do things yourself. Mm. I think that's a habit that anyone has and what you have to do is go Sometimes like you know what we can make that happen far faster and get it 80% there. Yeah, and isn't that going to be better if you're not involved at all? Um, And at the same time you want to hire people who are better than you could ever do it and the
0: only opportunity you ever get to see if they're better is if you get out the way of course What's been the most incredible space you've kind of stumbled upon? What do you think that on, the, on your books has been really surprising and beautiful? Oh, it completely varies in every city. I mean, from
1: little markets in East London, like yeah. by Broadway Market, which I love spending my weekends at, to we've got the tube stations. Old Street tube station, for example, we took over that tube, shittiest tube station in London. We took it over <laughs> three years ago. We've had a thousand different stores launch in Old Street Tube Station. Is that
0: in that, that kind of underground yeah. passageway?
1: Yeah. yeah, there are. We've taken the old important. men's toilets that was never been used for <laughs> 20, 30 years. Yeah. And we have got a men's concept store in there that High Nibardi just voted as the coolest concept store in the world. Wow. Um, and so it's pretty cool going from like East London, getting on the tube, seeing people's ideas, getting off in Oxford Street, yeah. and seeing concessions in Topshop to going down Burlington Arcade and seeing stores there. So
0: you even do stuff in those very established spaces?
1: Yeah, I mean, in New York, we've got Madison Avenue, we've wow. got Fifth Avenue, we've got the most beautiful buildings. Um, and their type of buildings I never imagined we'd get, actually. Yeah. But you just see that this industry is going through such massive change, this huge structural changes. You know, Everyone's scratching their head, what's going on with retail, what's going on with real estate, it's mm-hmm. being attacked from every
0: angle. And I think that a peer here is an answer to that future. Yeah, is it hard for independent traders to get to get a physical shop floor? And do you support them? Do you kind of subsidise their rates a bit? Yeah. Are you interested yeah. in, in these young startups?
1: Completely. I mean, like eighty percent of our business is small independent brands. But what I'd the way I describe it is, um, if you think about, a sh- if we take a let's take a random store, right? Yeah. Let's take a store on. Uh, South Moulton Street. A store on South Moulton Street would be probably about a quarter of a million pounds a year, roughly, let's say. Okay. Right now, in the traditional And that's model, just rent.
0: That's before you rent. paid business rates. Yeah. Or
1: let's even say it's all-inclusive. It's so a yeah. quarter of a million pounds a year. Then let's say you have to sign that lease for five years. You're talking about over two million quid, right? Now I. that's how bad my mouth You're talking about over a million quid. So, <laughs> you got, <laughs> so you've, got, um, you've got over a million quid and you are... Suddenly going, okay, that person has to have over a million quid in their bank because they've got to prove that they've got the covenant. They've then got to put a year out front mm. of their rent out front. So they've got to have 250 grand available to pay up front. Um, how many people can do that? So if you're a big Not brand, me. you can do that. Not many independent brands can do that. Suddenly you can go on a pier here and you can rent that space for maybe two grand a week. So how many people can afford two grand a week? So suddenly you're opening up access to things that were previously inaccessible, yeah. and on top of that you are absolutely widening the pool of potential retailers mm. so the type of people that would never even considered themselves a retailer before can now go actually the audience there or the amount two and a half grand if I spent it there rather than spending it somewhere else yeah. could that be better for my business and more affordable and you're actually getting brands that are now finding the offline retail when you turn it into that variable cost rather than a fixed cost is far more scalable than yeah. even something like Google AdWords,
0: and it's almost a kind of advertising as much as anything else for these shops. Just because they're getting their shop front in a prominent place, they can—if they were to have a billboard, they would cost them probably more than two grand a week. Compa- and then they've got the experience as well, Compa- and, it, and it can pay for
1: win. itself. And I think that you know we're seeing what we're seeing traditional retailers that you know their one line of growth they're getting particularly is online, mm-hmm. and you're seeing you know, a lot of traditional retailers getting 20%, 40 percent growth year on year. And then you've got online retailers that are moving offline. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't name really one major online retailer that isn't opening up stores. Yeah. Um, so what that means is you don't have online and offline retailers. You just have retailers that are doing both. And that means that it doesn't really matter. And, you know, most transactions now are happening on mobile, which means people aren't sitting at home on the screen. Yeah. They're doing it as they're out and about. So suddenly retail just becomes another channel. Um, and what we're seeing, you know, I was with one of the guys from one of the luxury groups the other day, and they said, you know, we saw a store it wasn't performing, probably the biggest luxury brand. They shut it down. They noticed that their online store sales
0: in that area were really? down by 50%, so they had to open the store. The name appear here is a very obvious thing, but how many different name variations did you go through before you settled on that? Or was it a one-hit wonder? No, I mean, I've got about 20 <laughs> domains of different names. I won't
1: even tell you because they're so But bad. let's
0: hear a couple of the, the ones you
1: didn't make like, it. Literally, they, they upset me. But <laughs> what I did do is I, in my, I remember I've got a picture of my kitchen at home, and I remember I wrote eight or four pieces of paper. I probably on each sheet wrote 40 names. Okay. And then I had the entire kitchen, every single
0: surface, covered, and the floor, covered in sheets of A4P paper. And with with the individual, each piece has one name? All yeah, piece one, one word,
1: one two words, whatever I was thinking. And I just remember I was going for it and I, I was sitting there, and I was like, and appear, you know, it's like, okay, what do they do? They appear, they disappear, they open, they close, they do yeah. this, they do that. I just spent that, like, a bit like, you know, advertising when people scam, they're just writing words. Yeah. Or pictures, I was just doing that, every single page. And then, okay, this page is going to be about opening and closing, what words come to them? magic? Cuckoo's nests. Cuckoos take eggs out of another bird's nest. I mean, there were so <laughs> many random things, and then I just thought, do you know what? I love the word appear, and then so what rhymes with appear and here, and then and so I sounds like oh god, that's quite interesting because it's a it says what it is. Like yeah. if that was on someone. If that was what? on if that was on a window. You'd 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 get what the business was maybe, um, but also I just loved. I thought the connotation of appear there was nothing negative. Yeah, it's like god how. Ma- it sounded magic. Yeah. And I had about five words, and I just remember I went to everyone, aunties, cousins, called up everyone I knew, just said, what five words do you like Which out of these? Which one do you like the most? Which one do you hate? And most, a lot of the time, some people liked another one or people hated another one, but nobody hated the appear here one. Okay. Um, and a load of people just went, that looks nice. And then I looked at all the brands I loved, um, which was, you know, whether it was M- Net-A-Porter. I loved Net-A-Porter. I loved, Miss- I loved what they were doing. I loved... So many, I loved a lot of the luxury brands and the way that they created their branding. I loved this agency at the time called, it was still around, Saturday Group, and a lot of the stuff they were doing. And, um, and framed denim and people like that. And I looked at their branding and, for, and sort of did my own version of Appear Here, which is what it is still today, which I designed and sort of said, actually, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the brackets to me said the shop. And it was pretty simple. But I liked brands that were simple, yeah. black and
0: white what what are the kind of threats then to appear here is there any danger that airbnb can now swoop in and do retail space because they've got the same kind of platform what keeps you up at night i know the guys at airbnb well and i've been fortunate enough to meet brian before and he's an amazing
1: amazing inspiring entrepreneur you know i think their obsession and their focus is around travel right yeah. they've got a huge industry there to focus on and actually the although we're like airbnb right the focus of the user journey in terms of the products. You have to know the product. You have to know what's going on. It's a very different user yeah. journey. The landlords, we're not dealing with people. We're dealing with big corporations. And, and you know, even if you own only a couple of shops, you've got to have a million quid or plus in available cash to just buy that building that's separate to everything else. So you're dealing with a different type of customer. And I think that could Airbnb do it? I'm, I think they probably could. Um, I can't imagine them doing it. Yeah. I think our focus from a fret's point of view, is much more, I think it's behavior change, actually. I think that, you know, we've signed up a lot of big landlords. We're working in these amazing cities. And last year, we are fortunate enough to launch over 4,000 stores in London, um, which is more than we've launched in our lifetime. We want to keep at that growth. But to really build a big, exciting business, we need landlords to fully adopt to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that the true risk of any great idea is timing. Okay. And you can get the right team, you can have competitors, whatever, but Anyone I know that really nails it never says it was down to rubbish competition or down to their team or them. It was down to all of those things, but it was down to timing. But everything has a tipping point and I think that we're heading in that direction. But does the tipping point happen today? Does it happen next year? Does it happen five years from now? Who knows? And I think you can, we will build a very exciting business. And whereas before it was like, will someone even rent a shop online? Mm. Will this even happen? There's no doubt in my mind this will happen, and I believe we are going to do it. Yeah. The only question mark will ever be, is it now or is it later?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and we've got to build a brand, and we've got to build a way of doing it to make sure it's now. Um, but that's the biggest thing, behavior change.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about the kind of advice you find yourself giving to entrepreneurs, because I imagine in your position as a CEO of a successful startup, People do come to you and friends of friends say, I've got this idea, what do you think of it? What does a good idea look like to you? And what piece of advice do you find yourself giving most to those people? Oh, it's hard. Advice. Okay, we'll put it in a more fun way. What are the biggest kind of cliched ideas that people come with a lot? And well, you Everyone think- at the moment's got like some kind of
1: healthy eating, green juice cafe idea um, or... Everyone has got a fitness idea at the moment, which is interesting. Or they've got a personal travel startup that's going to do traveling. I don't know. I don't like the idea when everyone's obsessed over doing their own company, right? I think if I was doing this just because I want to be the boss, it wouldn't be the right thing. Mm -hmm. I think you have to do something because you really believe that it's going to change things and you believe that it matters and it's going to get you excited. And actually, you should only do something if you go, if this wasn't my idea... And someone came to me, would I want to give up my job to do it? Do I believe this is that powerful? Or am I really doing it? I've got so many friends that like, I'm doing this thing, and you're like, are you doing it because you love the idea, or are you doing it because you love the idea of you being Being a a tech entrepreneur or you being And the truth of the matter is it's not fun. You know, cool. I love what I do, and I get up every morning and I'm excited, but the risk reward is is not there, right? If you look at I mean hopefully it is, but but it's um it's you're far more likely that you're going to fail than you're going to succeed. Yeah. And you've got to walk into this going, do you know what? The upside is going to be so worth it. And I believe in it that even though there's a nine out of 10 chance or more than that, that I'm going to fail, um, it's worth taking the risk. Yeah. And, and then you go to, on top of that, go, it's going to be so crap sometimes that is it worth taking the risk if you were doing it for someone else? And I think if you can say yes, then you should do it. What I want to do is I want to be part of something that matters. And I want to look back and go, do you know what? We disrupted an industry. We, you know, we're not making it easier for someone to buy a T-shirt online. We're, making, we're, ma- we're helping people make their ideas happen. Yeah. And our street's going to be more interesting and our city's going to be more interesting because of what we're doing. And I think you've got to find something that you truly get excited about and ha- has a mission because otherwise, you know, I just think there's enough business in the
0: world. What's more important as an entrepreneur, who you know or what you know?
1: What you know. hundred percent? hundred percent. Okay. Hundred percent, hundred, hundred, hundred percent. Because you know, I I was born in an area outside of London, and my parents were both hairdressers. Uh, and the probably the most influential person they knew was Terry down the road who owns a who owns a car salesman yeah. shop. And Terry didn't really know that many people, but probably not the right sort of people. So in my view, you know, I didn't know anyone. Yeah. And you know, I think I'm lucky now to to know some pretty amazing people in retail, in property.
0: You know but it sounds to me like although you didn't know a, at a young age you m- made yourself know people by going to people in the pub as that manic 19 year old yeah and- i
1: did it but i did but like now it's more that i think if but when you said it, is it who you know or what you know and you can get in front of anyone or you yeah. can find a way but if you don't know what you're talking about or if you're not engaging or if you you come across like you're just an idiot um, like me who can add up a minute ago but <laughs> then you you know you're not going to keep people engaged and i think actually most successful people i know do have an attention span. you can't sit still, yeah, find mine, it very hard to be engaged. If some person sat there around the table who's boring or doesn't know, you know, isn't stimulating. I, you know, doesn't yeah. know what they're talking about or doesn't have an interest or a passion. You're going to be bored of them. So, in my eyes, you know, when I get excited, I'm sat with someone who's obsessed with something that they're doing. They've got a view of the future. They are passionate. They have energy, and that's because they know what they're talking about. And yeah. if you've got people that, you know, and if you know what you know, you're going to Know the right
0: people. Yeah, I'd like to ask you some questions now more about you as a person because we know all about Ross the businessman but who in the world of business do you most admire? Tom Ford. Love Tom Ford Ford because he's someone who I think this
1: year he'll do over 2 billion in product sales. He's directed a movie. He's created an amazing brand. He's a creative, a business person. I think he's someone quite inspiring.
0: Yeah. And would you like to meet him? Have you ever met him? I haven't yet. What would you say to him when you met him? Um, I'm a big fan
1: <laughs> do you know what actually I think Tom Ford's stores are a bit boring so I'd really? probably say to him Look, Tom I love you your brand's amazing your movies are incredible you're a creative genius why are your
0: stores so cookie cutter and yeah. dull? what could we do that's a bit different well I haven't done who listens to this podcast now I'm sure he doesn't but uh, what would you be doing if you if you weren't doing this um, before I used to think I'd be in fashion or film something like that I don't know movies not
1: on screen you know doing something behind yeah. um Right now though, with what's going in the world, I think for the first time in my life, I'm like, do you know what? I'd want to do, I, I think I'd hate doing it actually, but you sort of, I'm so obsessed at the moment with politics and everything that's going yeah. on that I can imagine if it was right now in this moment with what's going on and I wasn't doing this, I think I'd probably be going, you know, could, is that
0: somewhere you can make a difference? As a kind of activist or as a, would you stand as an MP?
1: I don't know. Maybe.
0: Wow. I, I maybe a few years down the line you will stand as an well, MP. Well, I, I
1: hope not, because I, I don't think I'd ever want to. I think it's more that, not that I think that somehow I could save what's <laughs> going on, but I think you just look and you go, God, it's so uninspiring. It's yeah. such a mess. There's, there's such lack of leadership that you sort of go, well, God, I, I want to get involved
0: to yeah. figure stuff out because it's just depressing. Do you think uh, politicians and the cabinet in this country should use... More startup principles. I mean, David Cameron and George Osborne were fans of kind of behavioural nudges and stuff like that, which is very startup y. But Theresa May does not seem to be interested in that kind of thing at all. Well, do you think they you can know, do I, with the, I spent the tech a lot advisor? of time
1: at number 10 last year when David Cameron and George Osborne were in government. And I think that the vibe there and the energy and the way, and you know, there's other things I'm disappointed about in certain decisions, but whatever. But they, they, I think the way it was run was pretty exciting. I think that, you know, bringing in people, getting different ideas, getting yeah. viewpoints. Is something that I think any great leader, you know, you need to get in as many people in the room, hear what they're thinking, and then you need to make a decision of what's north. You know, you need to use everyone like a compass and then you decide the direction. I think that right now, you know, there's just no leadership. That's why you've got a cabinet that's squabbling. That's, you know, you've got someone that can't make decisions. And you need people in government, I think, a bit like what we just said in business, who have a sense of purpose, who have a sense of mission, but more than anything, have vision. And I think that the moment I'm running a peer here and I go, do you know what? I don't know what direction we should be going in and I can't picture the future. That's the moment where I should be standing down to let a great CEO with vision take over. What are you most proud of in your career so far? I'm still looking for that one. I think something I'm proud of this year, it's a bit easier to say, is we found an amazing guy earlier this year called Imad, who was a Syrian refugee. And he had, I think, three restaurants at the time in it was either Damascus or Aleppo. I don't remember right now. One, Ale- Damascus. Yeah, it's at three restaurants in Damascus. An amazing restaurateur. Lost everything, obviously. Um, came here. And when we met, he was, like, helping some guy out, like a, a car mechanics, just, like, answering the phone. And, stuff. and he, we were talking. It's was just like, do you know what? I'm so grateful that I'm here. I'm so grateful that I'm safe. And now, my f- and now thankfully, his family are here. But he was just, like, m- not miserable, but, like, what... Is that, what am I going to do? Yeah. And like, what you realize is that an idea and, and your job and all those things are what give us purpose, right? And he'd lack purpose. So we found a restaurant and we said, look, we're going to launch you your restaurant. And we bought his restaurant back. We did it for three weeks. Beautiful place. And the whole team got involved, designed it, staffed it. He sold out all three weeks' worth of sittings, two sittings a night in 24 hours. He had yeah. every major newspaper write about him. And now he's like, He's basically like some sort of celebrity chef. Yeah. I mean, he's doing incredibly well. And to watch someone, I saw him a few weeks ago, and he has this energy and this spark and this excitement. And that's what it's about. You know, that's what yeah. gets you going. And, and also, I mean, going back to the politics bit, you know, think about if you ever see a story about like refugees or sadly immigration on certain sites, and you read the comments, it really makes you depressed. You can't believe how people think. And yet, when Imad's story happened, these same papers and news articles did pieces on him, and you read the co- comments, and it was yeah. like, well, if we had more like this, we'd let them in, and it's great. And think, <laughs> actually, do you know what changes people's minds? Ideas and people yeah. and stories. And, you know, it was amazing to have someone human give him an idea and not just make his dream come true, but watch people who had maybe the wrong perceptions, definitely the wrong perceptions, change their view Wow.
0: Um, and, and and support someone like that. Yeah, him. well, I think you should be very proud of that. And then, on the other hand, the biggest failure or regrets, I, d- I sense that you're not someone who maybe hangs on to failures, but there must have been some big upsets early on. Oh, look, I, we fail all the time.
1: And Alice, who sat with me, who's worked with me every day for the last four years, um, we were in Copenhagen this week, and as we were flying out, she sort of looked at me and went, Oh, God, what's going to happen? I went watching music because every week time we travel, something goes wrong, doesn't it? And we have like this massive issue, and we're yeah. like on the phone the whole time, and it's a nightmare, and we're telling each other everything's going to be okay. And as she said, it happens every time we travel, it happens every week. There's a failure, there's something you do wrong. But I think that, you know, every failure is a lesson, it's a learning. And if you dwell on the thing that taught you the lesson too much, you never remember the lesson. And, you know, I'd, if you said to me, Ross, what was your best ever art lesson? I wouldn't remember, yeah. right? But, you know, combined, it was a good experience. I liked art class. Right now, I don't know each individual failure, but all I can say is there's a lot of them, and I try and make sure that there's less of them, and I learn from them.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, what's your most treasured possession, something physical? Um, oh, um, I don't really buy many things at the looks-
1: Expensive or anything, but okay. I love. I've got a piece. I've got a photography piece, an original yeah. Duffy of David Bowie, um, and I love Bowie. And it's got this. Uh, it's like a negative and it's very cool and it's huge. And yeah, I, I quite like that. That's that's something I love. Do you have a book that's influenced you a lot? The book that's influenced <laughs> me. Um, I love the best book I read recently, which I say everyone should read is Shoe Dog. It's one of the most amazing books, and I'm someone that people make fun because genuinely can't remember the last time I cried. And I'm not trying to say that to be manly. I'm not a particularly manly person, but I just can't remember yeah. the last time I cried. And I read Shoe Dog, and I was sobbing at the end. So um, it's an incredible, incredible book. Very, very honest. Yeah, um, It's one of those business books that isn't really about the business. It's about someone's journey and what they've gone through. And at the, end, the guy that's founded Nike, to me, has created one of the most inspirational brands. And to read the ups and downs he's had, to read his legacy, to read him as now an older guy looking back at his life,
0: um, is, is quite a beautiful book to yeah. me. And how would you like, this is quite an interesting one, how would you like your Wikipedia entry to start, um, Sir? That's it, one word. He said to start, so there we yeah. go. <laughs> <So it> <laughs> sir Ross Bailey, that's a very good answer, by the way. I'm sir <laughs> Ross Bailey, comma, philanthropist, activist. I don't know, I don't know. Probably, Former Prime I Minister.
1: Know, I hate to know what it's I don't know. Look, I'd I'd like to say, you know, someone that changed hopefully if we get this right, changed the way things were done, changed the yeah. industry and and um, you know, built a a company that, you know, outlasts him.
0: Ross, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the worlds of entrepreneurs, raconteurs and tastemakers. But in the meantime, you can read more at thegentlemansjournal.com or follow us on Instagram if you're so inclined, at The Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.